right. Again, it's great to be here, and let's open God's Word together. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as we continue in our study in 1 Corinthians. I had a good week this week. I was out at Murrieta with the uh, Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference, Senior Pastors Conference, and it reminded me of what one of my professors told me years ago. Pastors are a lot like manure. He said, you put them all together in one place and they just make a big stink, but if you spread them out, they'll do some good. <laughs> so it was, it was good to get out. <laughs> Speaking of pastors, there's a holiday coming up in October that you might want to prepare yourself for. Um, it's actually celebrated the whole month of October, but they focus on the second Sunday in October, and it's called Pastor's Appreciation. Pastor's Appreciation Month and Pastor's Appreciation Day. So, you know, you just can't start shopping too soon. Now, <laughs> seriously, I think it's one of the most ridiculous holidays that Hallmark ever thought up. I, I went on the Internet to see what the history of Pastor's Appreciation Day was. And they said, according to Hallmark, it started in 1992. I can't figure out why they didn't think of it much sooner. They did say that they have 35 different cards to give to your pastor. But as I was thinking about that, I was thinking Pastor's Appreciation started way before 1992. In fact, it started in the first century over in Acts chapter 14, when, in fact, turn over there and you can, we'll just do a little, before we get into 1 Corinthians, we'll do a little study of how pastor's appreciation started, and you'll see it actually relates to the message. Paul came to Lystra, and it says, well, he and Barnabas came there, and beginning with verse 8, it says, in Lystra, there was a certain man without strength in his feet. He was sitting there. Crippled from his mother's womb, he had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, and Paul, who observed him intently, seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us. In the likeness of men, celebrating pastors is a beautiful thing. They went on, and, and they thought that Paul and Barnabas were Jupiter and Mercury. They said they called Barnabas Zeus, and they called Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And so the priest of Zeus jumped on the bandwagon. His temple was right there in front of the city, and he brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. So here we have two guys serving God. The people are thrilled, and they're wanting to honor these two pastors, and even the priest of Zeus shows how well he knew Zeus. He thought he had just met him here. They began to celebrate the pastors, and it says when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude and cried out and said, Men, why are you doing these things? What are you celebrating us like this for? We also are men with the same nature as you. 
and preached to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Wow, what a celebration. A pastor's dream, really. You come and, and you try to represent God, and a guy's healed, and everyone's excited. But what? They're bowing down to Paul and Barnabas. They're going, you guys are the best. It's, it's Apostle Celebration Day. And they were mortified. And they said, we're just like you are. Don't celebrate us. Don't act like we're something special. We're not gods. We're telling you about the real God. And they could just barely restrain the people. There are some days when you think, boy, that reaction wouldn't be bad. <laughs> By the way, two verses later, the people turned on Paul and Barnabas and stoned Paul until they thought he was dead. Crowds can be rather fickle. Sometimes maybe you got to take your praise when you can get it and where you can get it. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is talking about the problem with pastor's appreciation. Because they there in Corinth who had had such a great start, Paul had come there and begun the church, but now they were starting to pick their favorite pastor. And as we saw earlier in the book, they were, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Peter. And all of them thinking that only us, we are of Christ. Well, as we saw last week, Paul said, that is carnality. That's acting like flesh. When you do that, it will stunt your growth completely. You're saying that these, your favorite pastors, are the ones who are helping you to grow, but he said, actually, your attitude toward your pastor is keeping you from growing. I have to keep feeding you milk. I can't give you solid food. You're acting like a bunch of babies the way you worship your pastors. And so now he continues in discussing this, and we'll begin reading beginning with verse 5. He says, who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Notice in verse 5, the Lord gave, in verse 6, God gave, in verse 7, God gives. Now, in verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one. They're the same. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Now, verse 9 stands in the middle of two metaphors. And verse 9 explains them or introduces them both. He says, you're God's field, or more literally, you're God's farm. And he says, you're God's building. Now, the verses in 5 through 9 take us through, or 5 through 8 take us through 
the metaphor of the farm, and then as we pick up in verse 10, as we will next week, we will see the metaphor of the building. But in the middle of that is verse 9 that says, I'm going to talk to you about who you are in relationship to who your pastors are. And he said, I'm going to use a farm to do it, and I'm going to use a building. So we'll be looking at the farm. And you might wonder, why does it matter? Why is it so important that we understand who pastors are? Most of us aren't pastors, but all of us do have people who have in that role shared with us, ministered to us. And the truth is, unless we see the people God has used in our lives in a proper way, our growth will be stunted. We will see them in a distorted way, but as a result also, we will be affected. But not only that, I believe there's a second application here too. Well, the second application would be it's important if you're in a pastoral role to understand what he is saying here. And I think he's probably doing that in a backhanded way to those in Corinth who were, who were ministers. But the third aspect really is that, and, and Paul's not ready to lay, lay it on them in chapter 3. As he said, you guys are still babies. It's hard for me to get to the point. But as we go through the book, we're going to discover as we get into the later chapters that Paul introduces a radical concept that there aren't just ministers and all the rest of you guys and girls, but that ultimately if we are a child of God, we are all called to be ministers. And he'll develop that theme throughout the book and then it takes on a more important really impact for us, but at this point, they weren't ready to handle that yet, so he's just using himself and Apollos, the other pastors, as examples. Now, one of the first things that you notice is one of the last things he says, you are God's field. Now, the field or a plowed field, a, a farm, is a, is a useful metaphor for the church, and it's a good description. In those days, the field is where everything else came from. It was the way that you provided for yourself, for your family. It was their method of employment. It was their place where they would get what they could eat. It was the thing that in Proverbs it talks about, hey, make sure you prepare your field and then build your house. In our, in our language and in our day, we would say, go to school and get a career going before you try to get your house going. If you try to build a house before you have a good job, you'll end up losing your house. So get the field ready. Well, he applies this metaphor to the church because this is where, among God's people, this is where God works. This is where he plants those seeds that he desires to grow. It's where we all plug in and participate and notice that God is doing things in our lives that provide for us and that help to lead and guide us. But, he says, you're God's field. Now, for them, they were saying, we're Paul's field. We're Apollos' field. And perhaps there were ministers there who were saying, it's our church. It's our field. You're my people. And he goes, hey, understand this. It's God's field. It all belongs to him. All glory goes to him. He is the one that matters. It's not about people. It's about God. And if we can't get to that point, nothing else makes sense in our lives until we understand the principle of the glory and centrality of God, the majesty of God. 
until we can sing those worship songs we sang today and mean them from our hearts, we'll always be babies because we will always think it's about people. We'll always think it's about a place or a method or an approach. You're God's field, he says. Understand this. But again, back in verse 5, so he says, Who is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers through whom you believed? Ministers. That word today conjures up a notion of someone who's perhaps a little more spiritual than other people, someone who is perhaps a little more knowledgeable of God's word. At some point, you become so proficient as a Christian that they make you a minister. And that's, a, that's something that should be held up and exalted and respected. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I'm proud to, to be a pastor. I'm thankful that God has given me the role to be able to minister to people. And I don't want to make you feel guilty if you gave me a pastor appreciation card last year. It's really funny. After this message, and you'll see when I get through it, it was funny watching people's reactions in the foyer. They didn't want to tell me it was a good message, and they were like choking on their words. It was cute. But I'm not trying to... But here's what you need to understand. Here's what a minister is. The word minister, diakonos in the Greek, is a word that means a servant. They use that word for servant all the time. It wasn't someone big and powerful and special. The word for servant, diakonos, comes from, you know, dia, which means across or through. You know, you have the diameter of something, the measure, measurement across. And then the second half of the word diakonos, kanoi, is a word that means dust. The reason that this word, through dust, came to mean minister or servant was because when you're serving, you kick up a lot of dust. When you are doing the work, dust is created, and that's where they got the term. And so Paul, in saying, you know, Apollos and I were but ministers, he isn't saying, we are ministers, and you ought to appreciate that. We need a special discount. We need to be treated in an exalted way. Respect your ministers. He says, we're only ministers. We're just servants. That's all. Now, anyone who is serving God needs to understand that, and anyone who is being served needs to understand that because when you begin to elevate a person above where they ought to be, then you're only setting yourself up for disappointment and failure. And so even as when Paul and Barnabas were telling the people in Lystra, stop worshiping us, we're, we're just men like you. We're not any different than you are. So he is saying here, some of you guys are having your little pastor contests with who's the best pastor. And I'm telling you, you're bragging about who's the best janitor. You're bragging about who's the best slave. That's what we are. That's what we are called to be. And ultimately, in the body of Christ, we are all called to serve God, to kick up dust wherever we can, in whatever way he gives us to do it. But he says, we're only ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. So although we are only servants, it was through us that you believed. Now, when we talk about through whom you believed, we would tend to think of, okay, who led you to pray the sinner's prayer and to receive Jesus? 
to become a Christian. But I think the image here is much greater than that because for most of these people, they had accepted the Lord through the ministry of Paul or those who were with Paul at the time he came to Corinth. But now they were growing under the ministry of Apollos because he came along after Paul and began to pastor this church. But Paul is going, hey, we all had a part in you believing. Belief is a process. And for all of us, I think there are a lot of people probably who we could put into this category of those through whom we believed, those God used to help us. And as he says, as the Lord gave to each one. In other words, there were an assortment of people who God gave them a particular role in being involved in our lives in bringing us into a greater belief, a greater awareness of who God is. So as God gave them that role, they fulfilled that place. Now, I don't know about you, but there are a lot of people that God has used through the years to bring me to belief and to greater belief. It wasn't just one person. In fact, the time when I accepted the Lord, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, really took that step and said, I'm ready. I can't say that there was anyone who did that because it was the strangest, and maybe you've heard me tell my story. I won't go into great detail, but I actually got saved almost accidentally. I was up at a camp up at Hume Lake in 1971 and 18 years old, and and. You know, John MacArthur was speaking, and I was sleeping. I slept through the entire message, but so I do owe John that. But he gave gave me a nice nap. But when I woke up, I thought it was over because people were walking down the aisle. So I got up, I'm walking down, and I realized halfway down, I'm like, oh, no, the doors are closed, the prayer room's open. I just went forward. I'm like, oh, great, and I go in there, and there are all these people, and, and I go, I said, you know, they said, just sit down and bow your head and spend time alone with God, and a counselor will get to you eventually. So I sat there just going, oh, no, this is embarrassing. All these people are seeing me going forward. They're all amazed. Dave Rolf's going forward. And <laughs> so I bowed my head, and God spoke to me in that moment. And God said to me, Dave, it's now or never. You will either accept me now or you'll never be able to do it again. Now, I don't know what John MacArthur said in the message, if that had anything to do with it, some sort of subliminal thing. But the bottom line is God spoke to me. And I said, God, okay, I will give my life to you, but I'm not changing a thing, and I'm not telling anyone. Forget the (laughs) confess me before men. I'm going to deny you. But if you want to change me, go ahead. I'll give you permission. I meant it from my heart. And I had a peace at that point. Now, the counselor came and said, so, you know, you want to give your life to the Lord? I go, no, you know, I was sleeping. I accidentally came forward. And they said, okay, you can leave. And I left. People were waiting for me outside, hugging me. I go, hey, hey, no, no. I was asleep. I accidentally went forward. I I didn't tell anyone the deal I made with God. But an amazing transformation began to happen where he started changing my life. And after a period of time, I couldn't deny it anymore. I had to start to tell people, yeah, I told God he could do this. I gave him permission. And that's all it took. So who's the one through whom I believed? Well, it was the Lord talking to me. But, you know, as I think about it, backing up in my life a little bit, I was raised going to church. 
Now, I was a really bad person. People in my church hated me. Most of the kids weren't allowed to hang out with me because of the things I was doing, but I would go to church. I think of my mom sharing with me when I was young and dragging me to church and always never missing. And I think, you know, that planted seeds. I even think of my father who was paranoid schizophrenic. I mean, my dad was nuts. He, he thought he heard from God all the time, but God told him stuff like, go sacrifice my mom, you know, like Abraham and Isaac and things like that. And, but my dad, when he figured out that I could read when I was two years old, he started forcing me to read the Bible. And I read, by the time I was six years old, I had read entirely through the Bible out loud to my dad, hours and hours and end, and he would get in my face and preach to me. And, and I'm not recommending that as a parenting tool, but you know what? The Word of God was planted in my heart. And I have to say, as much as, as abusive as my dad was, as difficult as it was growing up in that kind of a situation, I have to say God used that. God planted seeds that would much later grow up. There were other people in my church, the poor people who would have to teach me in Sunday school, you know, because I knew more information than they did, and I was a horrible person. I mean, I retired so many Sunday school teachers, and, but I think some of what they were doing had to have been planting seeds. They had a place in me growing into someone who actually understood and had a belief. The people who wrote the books that I would read. The people, I think of my poor youth pastor when I was in high school who took me for a walk out in the desert and said, it's time for us to talk. He said, Dave, you're not a Christian. You don't know God. And I said, Daryl, how can you say that? And he said, because. He goes, look at your life. Look at the stuff you're doing, drugs, you're stealing cars, you're breaking it out, you're doing all this stuff. That's not the fruit of being a Christian. And I said, look, Daryl, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and I'm telling you, he is Lord. You believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, I'm telling you, I believe it, that you'll be saved. He goes, but the fruit of your life shows that you're not saved. And I said, okay, Daryl, should I believe God's word that's, that's God-breathed, or shall I believe your opinion? Are you telling me that I'm saved by works? Is that what you're saying? And he just started to cry couldn't say anything else. Today, as I think about that, it chokes me up. At that time, I turned my back on him and walked away and laughed. I thought, put another person in their place. But you know, it planted some seeds that when God told me a month or so later, you're not saved, I knew it. Daryl was right. Couldn't convince me, but he was faithfully planting seeds, doing what God had led him to do. And since then, there are so many people who have been involved in my life, leading me to a greater belief. One of the greatest ones is Pastor Chuck, who this month celebrates his 80th birthday, over 60 years in ministry. Man, when I met Chuck and I began to sit under his teaching, what a powerful impact that had on me for so many years, and, and to this day it does. But I think of all the great teachers who have written books and who I have listened to their teaching, and I am having programmed into me all the time ministry that is speaking to me the, of God's faithfulness and of who he is, and it causes my belief to grow. It causes me to flourish. And we all could have that kind of a story. Who was it that God used to bring you to belief? 
probably an assortment of people. But Paul said, who is Paul and who is Apollos? Just servants through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. See, people don't appoint themselves to represent God. God calls different people to do different things, and it was God who called Paul and Apollos, and God who called all those people who have poured into your life and influenced you in the area of belief, and he used every one of them together as they were doing what he called them to do, and the, the whole bunch of it is combined together to bring us to the point where we understand what God is doing in our lives. We begin to be affected and impacted by who he is. But remember, they're just doing what God gave them to do. They are only servants. They're just kicking up dust. In verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. We each have different roles. Some people are planting. Some people are watering. Some people are cultivating the soil. Some people, their ministry is fertilizing it. But, but in every sense of the word, people are only doing what God tells them to do. But God is the one who makes it successful, who makes it work. And I can tell you by way of personal testimony, and you know, again, I'm blessed when people somehow are blessed by what I do as a pastor. But believe me, and most of you know this, it's not me at all. If God teaches you somehow through something I share, it's, it's because he does a miracle. I'd, I, I look at what I do, and I, I'm, I'm abhorred by it often. I, I look and think, how in the world could this ever do any good for God? As I prepare my messages, I just think, this just is not going to come through. And as I'm given the message, I'm just going, sometimes I'm looking at this sea of faces and going, I cannot put into words what God wants you to hear today. By the way, if you want to know how bad it is, the longer a pastor preaches, the more frustrated they are in trying to choke it out. So if I go a little longer, just remember, it was a really bad message, and I thought... <laughs> I thought I could make it up on volume. But, <laughs> but it's important for all of us to understand that. And there's watering, there's planting, there's cultivating. There are all these different things, and God uses people, but he is the one who causes the increase. He makes it work. He's the one who brings the magic to what, and I know that'll stumble you, but you know, that's just me, sorry. I, you know, by the way, I'm so blessed by a church that puts up with me, frankly. I can say things here that I could never say anywhere else. People would be upset, you know, but you guys know, yeah, that's Dave. And I, you know, we get a lot of people who visit here once and, hey, God bless them. But <laughs> people who stick around, it's like, okay, you're starting to get it. That somehow it's only going to be because God speaks. It's not about me speaking. God spoke through Balaam's ass, uh, his donkey, sorry, and, <laughs> and he still does that kind of stuff. But unless God shows up, nothing happens. Nothing happens. I'll tell you what, some of my best messages didn't really get a reaction. Some of my best jokes people don't laugh at. Sometimes when I do a horrible message, people go, oh, I could just hear God. That's okay. 
fact, that's a good thing because it reminds me and it reminds all of us, it's only if God shows up that what we do can amount to anything. And I, and I hope you understand that in your life as well. And, it, and that may be a degrading thing. And some of you are just thinking that I'm going on with my self-loathing kind of, well, no wonder you had that weird upbringing. And as a result, now you have a horrible self-image. And now you're getting up here, you know, beating yourself up in front of everyone over it. No, believe me. Just like you, on my worst days, I think I'm great. <laughs> on my better days, I realize I just am terrible. But we need to understand it's only God showing up that makes a difference. And so he says, that's true with Paul and Apollos. And you guys need to understand it because as God allows you to see ministers for who they are, then as God begins to speak to your heart and let you realize you're a minister too, you too are called to serve God, then you will know I can do this. Not because, man, do I have a great thing going. If you think you have a great thing going, God probably won't show up. But when you realize, I don't know, all I can do is what God tells me to do, what I think he's telling me to do, and if he shows up, I'll get away with it and get to do it again, then you understand the essence of what it means, that it's all God, that it's not us. The hazard of not seeing that is at least twofold. For one thing, you'll think, I don't have enough to offer God. I certainly couldn't be a minister. And then secondly, you'll put those who God is using on a pedestal. You'll think of them more highly than you ought to think, and sooner or later, they're going to let you down. Sooner or later, they will cause you to stumble. Sooner or later, as you begin to elevate them, you will be divided against other people because you'll be like, my pastor is better than your pastor. My pastor can kick your pastor's... Well, I shouldn't have gone there, but... but um, <laughs> You know, and it's this whole thing of, you know, let's be rivals. But it's one of the reasons why I don't, I don't keep my notes from sermons. I don't use notes when I preach. And when the sermon's over, now I hope I remember the sermon enough after first service to be able to do it second service and then third service, and then I'm done. I'm like, I want to forget that. Because if God showed up, praise God. If not, the last thing I ever want to do is to show up and preach one of my old sermons. I'm done with it when it's done. If it happened and God used it, great. If it didn't, there's always next week. But the great thing is the pressure's not on me. I, when I start to feel like, oh, no, I've got this anxiety because I need to preach a good sermon. Well, what will that person think? Or what if this, you know, I'm all of a sudden thinking it's me, and it's not. And we all need to understand that. Now, again, he says, Neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. God gives the increase. He's the one that makes it work. He's the one that does what is necessary for people to gain faith, for people to be drawn closer to God, for people to see God. It's so funny, our tendency in our culture especially is to try to come up with the best and the slickest system possible in order to attract the most people so that then God will be glorified. But sometimes I'm afraid the presentations that are the most impressive give the least opportunity for God to be glorified. 
Because what happens? You put on a big show. You go, man, wait till you see this. We've got this new cool technological tool. And, you know, you used to come together and worship God, and you'd think, hey, that was great. But now we've got this great, splashy video presentation that goes with it. And praise God, he provided the money for us to build these little vibrating things in our seats so that at just the right point from the music, you'll feel your body shaking, and oh, man, will God be glorified then. And then we're going to impress you with a skit and a really slick little, you know, sermon. We're going to brought, it's going to be like watching a TV show. This is going to be so great. Well, what gets the glory? When later you tell people, here's how you get God to show up. You get the most talented people you can, the greatest technology available. You put on a show that would put Hollywood to shame, and then God will show up. And who gets the glory? Remember what we saw in chapter 1. God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Not many wise men, not many nobles. He's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, to blow their minds. So if you're foolish, you're qualified. Because if you will do what God tells you to do, he'll show up and it'll work when it shouldn't. You know, I'm convinced sometimes. And by the way, when people do a great presentation, often... God does show up, and that's what baffles us sometimes, and that's what throws people off. I have a theory, though. I think God sees that, oh, man, here's a bunch of people who are thousands of them working together, desperate to put on a show so God will show up. And so they're planning and scripting and wiring and lighting and, and practicing, and, and oh, they want, and God looks at all that, and he goes, what a shame, but then he goes, I better show up or they're going to be crushed. And so he comes and works, and they think it was because of their toys, and it was just because of his grace. He doesn't say, oh, if you do that, I won't show up. That's the amazing thing about God. He doesn't care so much about making a pastor feel good, but he sees people who need faith, and he goes, I'll do that. So even if they do get a big crowd together, I'll show up, but it'll just be because of my grace. It won't be because of their show. Now, when we don't understand that, therefore, I, I should say probably, the sermons that you've thought were the best that I preached, they probably were lousy. And God just saw me preparing, and he goes, oh, man, I better bail them out here. This, I better make this work somehow. So don't go back and look at the message and try to analyze what it was that worked. I don't. I don't know. I'm amazed every week if it works, if it works for anyone in any way. And sometimes I'll turn the radio on and hear me preaching at 1 o'clock, and sometimes I'll go, wow, that was actually, I don't remember that, but that's pretty good. But it wasn't me because I know most of the, in fact, I would say everything I've ever heard myself say on the radio that I liked I didn't plan. It was just something that just popped out. Now, a lot of the things that get me in trouble just pop out too. <laughs> you got to take the good with the bad. <laughs> but it's important for us to get this because if we don't get it, we will elevate people higher than they ought to be, and if we don't get it, we will never offer ourselves to be used by God. Now, there's a situation that happens when people are elevated as ministers. Invariably, something will happen that shows that they're merely men, that shows that they're only servants. 
Sometimes this happens in a huge way, in a huge way of failure, where a pastor that everyone loves and respects and adores ends up having a moral failure and just crashing and burning. Other times in smaller ways, they, and I'll include myself in this, just say things that stumble you so bad, you're like, I can't hang with that anymore. Other times, through financial failure or obvious arrogance, you'll see someone who's you've put on a pedestal and boom, they come crashing down and you're so disappointed and you're so shattered. And often we say, oh, when a pastor blows it when they fail, it just destroys the faith of so many people. No, it doesn't. It doesn't destroy anyone's faith when a pastor fails. It'll show you where your faith is, that's all. If it destroys your faith in pastors, then good. That needed to happen a long time ago. But faith isn't having enough evidence so that you know what you know. Faith is about believing when you can't see. And so when something rocks your world, it doesn't take your faith away. It gives you an opportunity to exercise greater faith. And so often we sit there after someone has failed us miserably and sometimes very publicly, we look at them and we go, how can they continue to go on and act like they're Christians? All these years, they were ministering to me, and I, now they do this. I find out about that, and I go, what's the deal? Were they even saved? Do they mean this at all? Or are they just living a completely phony life? Yeah, like all of us. But at the same time, see, it isn't about the people. And someone can love God and serve God, and, and God can minister to you through that person, and then they can fail miserably. And I'm telling you, that's a good thing, because then you, it'll take your eyes off that person. But don't start to think that when someone fails, therefore, I guess they weren't really Christians. No, they were really humans. And we're all capable of phoniness. We're all capable of preaching one thing and doing another. Let's face it, that's in every one of us, and it's in every pastor. And every pastor that you've ever bowed down and worshiped, if you got to know them well enough, you would certainly be disappointed. You would certainly feel let down. And Paul goes, God, it's all about him. It's what he does. It's he just chooses to use people like us because it's easier for him to get the glory. And so, again, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase, so neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now, he says, he who plants and he who waters are one. They're in the same boat. Each one will receive his own reward, his own personal reward, according to his own labor. Interesting, he reminds those who are serving God and ministering, you'll get your own reward. You'll get your own payday. Your reward for serving God is not what you get down here. Most of what you get down here is fickle indeed. Like the the people who are telling, thinking that Paul was a god in one moment and stoning him the next. Is that for me or? Okay. <laughs> but at the same time, it's interesting that he also doesn't reward you according to your success. It doesn't say that God will reward each minister according to how well it goes, 
according to how many people are ministered to or how effective their ministry is. Because that's not you anyway. It isn't. But he says, you'll be rewarded. And next week as we finish uh, or as we continue in this chapter, we'll see what he says about rewards and, and about what lasts after we're done doing what we do. But his thing is, no, God is the one who creates the increase. So results are up to him. But you'll be rewarded because you served, because you labored, because you tried. And if you work really hard trying to do what you feel God has called you to do, and you fall on your face and it doesn't work, and everyone says you're lousy at what you do, God says, I'll reward you because you tried. He rewards us according to our efforts, but he doesn't evaluate us according to our success because the success is him. And as soon as we try to copy someone else so that we can achieve their success, we might get success. There are certain formulas that you could follow, certain principles that you could participate in whereby you could make a church that's really huge and makes an impact and you become very famous. Certain things, if that's what you want, you can do that. It's been established how to do it. But if you did and it worked, God doesn't show up a lot of times. And you get results, but you get the glory, and after it's all over, that's all that's left. But Paul said, rewards come according to what you're laboring realizing I'm a servant, I'm a farmer, I'm out there in the field. If I'm called to plant, I'll plant. If I'm called to water, I'll water. If I'm called to mow, I'll mow. If I'm called to fertilize, I'll fertilize. But I'm committing my efforts to him, and he's going to give the increase, and he's going to get the glory. And he loves to work in a way that blows our minds. He loves to surprise us and show up when we least expect him. Because that way, he gets all the glory. If I try my hardest to do the best message that I give, and, and I give it, and wow, you know, it's, God really uses it, I think, man, i, I got to follow that method. What was the magic? How did it happen? But the truth is, the magic is him showing up. The glory is all to him. If we take that glory for ourselves or we displace that glory, if we look at people we admire and we glorify them, then we miss the point. But also what we will do is we'll just hang it up because we'll go, I'm not as slick as they are. I can't afford to present what they are presenting. I can't build something as impressive as what they're building, so forget me. Hey, God is the one who gives everyone a task. And as we perform that task and give glory to him, he shows up, it's all glory to him. And we get to praise him as those who not are fellow workers with him, but we work together for him in his field, in his church, and he gets the glory. And that is one of the keys to growing one of the best ways to stunt your growth is to worship pastors, to believe that you're not up to it, to hang it up because you're not getting the results that you want to get. You're not going to grow. You're not going to get it. But Paul says, God has better things for you. He wants you to understand 
the nature of the ministry, the nature of your role within the body, and that God will show up. Sometimes you won't see Him show up, but He'll reward you because you worked at it. I'm convinced sometimes that some of the greatest rewards we will ever have in heaven are for those things we did that fell on their faces and failed. And God goes, yep, people think you're stupid, but I'm going to pay you for that one. I'm going to reward you for that. And I think some of the things that we get the most attention for, God just shakes his head, says it wasn't me. Enjoy your glory down there because that's all you're going to get. It's all that's going to happen. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. Has done, is doing, will continue to do as long as we let him be God and we let ministers be janitors. We're in good shape. Let's pray. Lord, you are great. There isn't anything that we can put into words that is sufficient to represent you well. God, you know how frustrating it is trying to say what you are in a way that is worthy of you. But God, all we can do is point to you and give you the glory. Help us to see those who you have used in their proper perspective. And help us to see ourselves in our proper perspective that you can be glorified, that people can see you for who you are. Lord, when we've been disappointed and let down by people and it sets us back, I thank you because every time someone we looked up to let us down, it gave us one more comparison to your glory. And we want to, when the, at the end of the day, we just want to see you high and lifted up. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.